What's kicking, little chicken? Do -do -do. Oh, I wish I could take credit for that opening. And um, you know what? I think I'm going to because uh, what you gonna do? For all you know, maybe it's my original creation. I mean, maybe I did make it up. Maybe it's Maybelline. Anyway, my name is Perry and welcome to another episode of Hello, Mr. Burns, a research podcast where I talk about old school Simpsons episodes and how watching these episodes might make you sound smarter. I am smart. S-M-R-T. I mean, S-M-A-R-R-T. Today's podcast episode is a deep dive of the sixth episode of season one. And I'm just going to say straight up that, man, oh man, I hate the name of this episode, but the episode is pretty phenomenal. <sighs> okay, so... The episode is called Moaning Lisa. Okay, Moaning Lisa. Done. We got that out of the way. So as always, we'll start with a super duper quick episode synopsis. We're going to list out some new and notable characters, and then we're going to get straight into some good old research and did you knows. Just as a fair warning, if you hear any sounds in the background of this podcast, I am currently eating my porridge. So um, that's, that's my spoon. Enjoy that ASMR for free. Lisa, Lisa, are you still in there? This episode was one of those moments in pop culture that was like a little bit ahead of its time. It's a really interesting exploration of mental health and when children are suffering from depression. And the voice of Lisa Simpson, who's called Yardley Smith, has said that this is her favorite episode she's ever done, ever. Now, I don't know about you guys, but thanks to COVID and Melbourne going into perpetual states of lockdown and freedom and climate change and all the other threats in the world, I'm a little fragile on the mental health side. And for that, I will have to say in this episode that we will be discussing depression and um, hard truth ASOPs, but we will also be touching a smidge on the episode B plot that explores patricide and video games. So a bit of this, bit of that. Remember that if you are having a hard time, and I know you probably are because the apocalypse is a slow burn, um, I implore you to reach out to someone, do your comfort ritual, and we will ride it out together. Okay, it's time for the episode synopsis, and I'm going to have a quick mouthful of my porridge. Hmm. It's banana porridge. Okay. The episode begins with Lisa waking up one morning and she is just not quite herself. At school, she gets in trouble with her music teacher for improvising jazz and in gym class, she can't even bring herself to dodge a ball. I'm too sad. Too sad to play dodgeball? That's ridiculous. Now let's see some enthusiasm. At home, Bart and Homer are playing a boxing video game and Homer just keeps losing to Bart. The family try to cheer Lisa up but she is just so consumed with existentialism and worries over all the suffering in the world, girl, I hear you, um, that just all of their cheering up attempts don't work. One night in her room, Lisa hears music coming from outside her window. She follows the music through the town and meets Bleeding Gums Murphy, a soulful saxophonist playing the blues, who is also Dr. Hibbert's brother. Lisa learns about expressing herself through blues and music, and all of a sudden she's discovered and whisked away by Marge. Meanwhile, Homer goes to the arcade and enlists in the help of an arcade boxing gaming expert to learn how to beat Bart. Marge takes Lisa to band practice. Now, Lisa, listen to me. This is important. I want you to smile today. But I don't feel like smiling. Well, it doesn't matter how you feel inside, you know. It's what shows up on the surface that counts. That's what my mother taught me. Take all your bad feelings and push them down, all the way down, past your knees until you're almost walking on them. And then you'll fit in and you'll be invited to parties and boys will like you and happiness will follow. Marge looks out the window and sees Lisa hiding her true feelings and she's being taken advantage of by her classmates. And all of a sudden, Marge decides to change her tune. 
She does a really hefty U-turn, drags Lisa back into the car and says this incredible monologue. Lisa, I apologize to you. I was wrong. I take it all back. Always be yourself. You want to be sad, honey? Be sad. We'll write it out with you. And when you get finished feeling sad, we'll still be there. From now on, let me do the smiling for both of us. Okay, Mom. I said you could stop smiling, Lisa. I feel like smiling. When Homer gets home, he's about to defeat Bart in a rematch, but Marge unplugs the gaming console and announces that Lisa wants to do something very special as a family. The Simpsons visit a jazz club to hear Bleeding Gums Murphy sing a blues number written by Lisa, and roll credits. So new and notable characters in this episode, we meet Bleeding Gums Murphy for the first time, and we find out that he gets his name because he's never been to the dentist. We also meet Marge's mother for the first time. Her name is Jacqueline Bouvier. And um, she was named after Jackie Onassis, JFK's wife, whose maiden name was Bouvier. Anyway, okie dokie, let's get down to some learning. But all the while, our little Lisa's becoming a young woman. Oh, so that's it. This is some kind of underwear thing. Mm. The B-plot of this episode covers Homer struggling with the idea that Bart is suddenly capable of outsmarting him and may potentially overthrow him as head of the family. If you're an American Dad fan, and I'll have to say you absolutely should be, because the writers from the golden age of The Simpsons bounced from writing Futurama to writing American Dad, which is why the earliest seasons of all three shows are fantastic. Anyway, so you might remember this episode called I Am The Walrus. Um, And in this episode, there's a bit of tension between Stan and Steve, where they both battle for dominance in the house. Well, he's intimidated by you. Dad? Intimidated by me? You finished your food first last night, and now he's scared you're coming into your prime and going to dethrone him. What? In The Simpsons, it's a little bit of a softer plotline. So American Dad has Stan being more combative and outraged that Steve is outmanning him because it's a threat to his ego and all of that. Whereas Homer has a more gentle approach to it, and he even seems to recognize the entire situation when he says this. You know, Marge, getting old is a terrible thing. I think the saddest day of my life is when I realized I could beat my dad at most things. And Bart experienced that at the age of four. So when Homer's in the arcade, uh, the games counter attendant and mother both make comments on the fact that he's an adult playing video games. Uh, sorry, And you, a man of your age, you should be ashamed of yourself. And it kind of dawned on me that when this episode was aired in 1990, this was actually a legitimate thing because... Gaming was more of a children's thing back then. Um, It'd be kind of like today in 2021, if you showed up to a ball pit and asked for a ticket, the police would be called. In fact, it was only in 1990 that we got the 16-bit Super Nintendo Entertainment System console. Okay, so help me with this, because I call it SNES, but according to a talk show I watched, 67% of people call it SNES. The talk show did say that SNES, the way I say it, is more popular as a pronunciation in Europe. So, yeah, all I have to say is just imagine how aroused your next Tinder date will get hearing you run through these statistics and pronunciations. Also, on the same day of the SNES launch, we got Super Mario World. Blessed be the 90s. Let's explore Lisa and Marge's journey in this episode, and I'm happy to report that I've finished my porridge now, so you won't have to worry about any weird background sound. So at the start of the episode with Lisa, um, she is going through a bit of a sad moment. And I'm not a psychologist except when outraged and drunk, but she is showing classic signs of depression. She begins withdrawing from everyone. She doesn't enjoy her usual passions like music class. 
And even Lisa's animation becomes a little bit droopy and sad. Well, she doesn't look sad. I don't see any tears in her eyes. It's not that kind of sad. I'm sorry, Dad, but you wouldn't understand. Oh, sure I would, Princess. I have feelings, too. You know, like, my stomach hurts, or I'm going crazy. Why don't you climb up on Daddy's knee and tell him all about it? I'm just wondering, what's the point? Would it make any difference at all if I never existed? How can we sleep at night when there's so much suffering in the world? Well, eh, uh, eh. Come on, Lisa, ride the Homer horsey. Giddy up, whee! <laughs> but I think the most interesting development is Marge's journey in helping Lisa. So Marge begins having nightmares about Lisa and dreams of her own childhood with her mother telling her this. Wait, Margie, before you go out that door, let's put our happy face on because people know how good a mommy you have by the size of your smile. It kind of speaks to why Marge is the way she is. And I think a lot of people out there have experienced this kind of advice in their lives. Um, if you've seen the movie Inside Out, you'll know all about this. So this saying of smiling through the pain has now become a literary trope known as the Stepford Smile. The Stepfords, of course, being a throwback to the incredible 1972 satirical feminist novel, The Stepford Wives by Ira Levin. This book was made into a movie twice, I think. Um, so once as a sci-fi thriller in 1975, and then again as a comedy sci-fi with Nicole Kidman in 2014. Wait, you work out dressed like this? Well, of course. Whatever we do, we always want to look our very best. I mean, why imagine if our husband saw us in worn, dark, urban sweat clothes with stringy hair and almost no makeup. You can watch the 2014 version on Netflix, but you don't have to, and I don't advise you because it's terrible. Just as a basic plotline, um, The Stepford Wives is set in a fictional town called Stepford. So in this town, all of the men have replaced their wives with either cyborgs or brain chips to transform them from academic, strong-minded women with promising careers into docile, beautiful, housework-obsessed trophy wives, all with the same empty smiles. The author who wrote this book, also wrote Rosemary's Baby. So the idea of the Stepford Wife is actually a branch of something else that's known as the cult of domesticity. I'm going to really struggle with that word. So it's domestic, but domesticity. Anyway, so this is a term used by historians to describe what they consider to have been a prevailing value system among the upper and middle classes in the late 19th century in the US. However, I will say that it is still prevalent today in many communities and religions. So this cult idea basically says that a woman's role in the universe to be a true woman, air quotes, you have to have the four cardinal virtues, which are piety, purity, domesticity, and submissiveness. Um, there was one woman named Barbara Welter who wrote a book called True Woman in 1966, and she said that what makes a woman feminine is a well-kept household, and she should not engage in any strenuous physical activity that would damage her much more delicate nervous system. As a side note on this, during my research, I came across the funniest example of the biggest dickhead in history. Get this. All right, so let me allow me to introduce you to an 18th century certified super wanker, nincompoop extraordinaire, Thomas Day. He's a dick! All right, so this guy is like an historical joke, okay? I find him so hilariously tragic because he is the grandpapa of most men on Tinder and he is actually someone who tried to make a real life Stepford wife. 
So as most assholes are, Thomas was born into a really wealthy family, but being a massive twat and reportedly someone who didn't think that hygiene was a thing, he had trouble finding a wife. So he does kind of have a suggestion of incel about him. He's he's like a little bit of an Elliot Rogers, um, but obviously he didn't shoot up a school, so he's slightly different. After a series of rejections from women, Thomas decided to take life by the horns. And uh, he decided that if he couldn't find a wife with the ideal wifey virtues, he would make one. He purchased two orphan girls. Uh, one was 11, one was 12, and changed their names to Sabrina and Lucretia. And he basically set about molding them into the perfect wife. And the plan was whichever orphan turned out best, he would marry. Guys, this is 100% true. Look him up. So in his experiments, again, air quote, Thomas and his bestie, who was another turd burglar named Richard, subjected the girls to horrible ordeals. At one point, he nearly drowned them both to test their endurance and unflappability. After a year, he did let Lucretia go, but he intensified his experiments on Sabrina, which for some reason it's noted included dripping hot wax on her and firing pistols at her skirt. He never actually told the girls what his true intentions were, which is weird. In the end, Thomas did let Sabrina go too. And strangely, Thomas did manage to find a woman that would marry him. Um, Her name was Esther. And her only claim to fame was that she writes really bad poetry unironically. You will be happy to know that Thomas was killed later in life after being thrown from a horse he was trying to tame. The horse was having none of his bullshit. Anyway, we would be here all day if I attempted to flesh out feminism through the ages. All you really need to know here is that according to a fellow Simpsons nerd with too much time on their hands, it's estimated that Marge's mother was born in 1909. So she really was a fully fledged member of the cult of domesticity and a Stepford Smiler. I think really the magic of The Simpsons is that it acts as a time capsule for us to watch society change over the years. In the 90s, it was understood that the previous generation were certified cult members and that the 90s generation was the beginning of unraveling this learned behavior. You know, all mothers are just trying to teach their daughters um, survival techniques. And Marge's mother teaches Marge to Stepford smile because it helped protect her. Um, and of course, Marge attempts to teach Lisa the same technique. It's what shows up on the surface that counts. That's what my mother taught me. I love this part of The Simpsons um, because something in Marge just seems to snap. It's almost as though in those few seconds, she realizes the damage that a Stepford smile does to the soul. And she realizes that she's passing it on to her child. It's almost like a, it's like a, it's too late for me, but I can help you moment. And it's in this moment that Marge has decided to break the wheel of intergenerational trauma and learn submission and make the leap from parroting to parenting. I mean, after all, she's human too. She makes mistakes, but I love that she's trying to change it. So the character arc of Lisa and Marge also follows another literary pattern known as the hard truth Aesop. Um, So everyone knows regular Aesops. They're sayings like, be yourself, appreciate what you have. Money won't buy you happiness, follow your dreams, and of course, everyone's favorite, live, love, love. Sometimes these morals contradict each other, but you're not really surprised when you see them in a story. A hard truth Aesop, which is also known as a family unfriendly Aesop, takes the difficult to swallow truths of life and packages them in a way that you can't exactly disagree with, but they do leave you feeling a little bit uncomfortable. I'll give you some examples so you know what I mean. So in the movie, The Incredibles, we learn that not everyone is special and that if everyone was special, then no one would be. 
This is completely true. You cannot argue with that logic, but it's a hard truth. The movie Grease is essentially teaching us change everything about yourself, get a perm, start smoking, and you'll be with the one you love. You've got Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events with the idea that some mysteries will never be solved. Um, A really brutal one from The Office was um, where they say, I wish there was a way to know you were in the good old days before you actually left them. And a lot of papers I've read have cited Atlas Shrugged as canon of the hard truth Aesop, but I haven't and can't be bothered reading it. And that's what The Simpsons is doing here with this episode. So rather than sugarcoat depression and say that there's a magical fix for Lisa, we learn that there's no easy answers, nor does a moment of sadness or depression or any other mental health issue have an obvious cause that can be addressed directly. Just like in Inside Out, you know, um, feelings are meant to be felt and you cannot smile through the pain. And even though it's not the fairy tale ending we'd want, sometimes you just have to write out the big sads. Or, or if you're old timey, you'll call it the morbs. So instead of trying to suppress her feelings, Lisa expresses her feels in her own way. And she writes this really cute blue song. I got a bratty brother. He bugs me every day. And this morning my own mother, she gave my last cupcake away. My dad acts like he belongs. He belongs in the zoo. I'm the saddest kid in grade number two. And on that note, we finish up another episode of Hello, Mr. Burns and a deep dive of Moaning Lisa. I was going to take a different angle on this episode and I really wanted to explore the connection between paranormal activity and depression, but... I don't know, maybe another day closer to Halloween, which I hate to remind you is right around the corner. So this episode, yes, it was a little bit heavier than others. And um, I just wanted to make it even more uncomfortable for you by saying that if you are suffering a serious case of the morbs or the sads, or just straight up not having a good time anymore, bruh, reach out to someone, okay? There's always someone to talk to. Please do it. We will be your Marge and we will all get through this together. So next week's episode will be a deep dive of The Call of the Simpsons, which is a break from the heavier stuff and a nice little dive into the more absurdist Simpsons. It's a fun little app. You'll look forward to it. Anyway, thanks so much for listening, guys. And as always, keep watching the skis.